0: perfect landscape plants are the bradford pear and the kudzu vine they're they're not so if you're listening, someone's going to pull that sound bite out and like
1: actually i am i'm going to edit this <laughs> <So> that's <laughs> that's, the... that'll be that'll be the title yeah. of the episode <laughs> welcome back everyone to another episode of jolly green scientists my name is airfon with texas A&M agrilife extension and i'm vikram with texas tech university and in this podcast, we will digest green industry magazine articles or scientific literature and deliver it straight to you and this week is kind of a special one where we're going to share two articles from trade magazines and discuss them.
0: Yeah, we thought it'd be kind of fun to after y'all hearing a lot of uh technical stuff in the past two episodes, uh just to talk about something that that y'all may have seen or that uh is just a little more general interest. And and that we may follow this format going forward, we may not. We'll just we'll just have to see.
1: So this week, I'd like to discuss one of the trade articles written by my counterpart at the University of Maryland. Uh, his name is Stanton Gill, who, uh, you know, you write some great articles and you wrote this one in Grower Talks. Do you, Are you subscribed to Grower Talks?
0: No, but I need to be. I, you know, after you sent me this, I was kind of looking through some of their stuff. And it's a really, really great um, publication.
1: Yeah, and I think it's one of those that it's, it's free. All they need is all of your personal information. Right. And then they, they send it to you and every once in a while they'll call to make sure your information is up up to date. Do you still live there? Are you still alive? Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who they're selling my information to. <laughs> I don't know of what value my information is to them, <laughs> uh, but I give it to them willingly because Google has it anyway. So It's true. Uh, so in this article, uh, Stanton talks about basil downy mildew which is kind of an interesting one because basil, I guess, you know, didn't really have a downy mildew up until around 2007 when it first showed up in Florida. And I know some of our growers, even though this is a green industry focused podcast, a lot of our growers might be growing transplants in the greenhouse uh, and they, you know, sell it in the same section as bedding plants and whatnot. So it's kind of in the same category. Yeah. And so uh, downy mildew is as we know a major pathogen can cause a lot of problems on a lot of our other ornamental plants and all of a sudden boom on the basil as on well on the basil on yeah. the basil and this is the crazy thing is that on on the basil right even if you're a home gardener this could be relevant oh yeah uh, for sure yeah it shows up first it almost looks like a nutrient deficiency right so the edges kind of start yellowing which uh you know especially between the major veins and then it starts to spread across the leaf Uh, And after a little while, that's when you start getting some of the more typical symptoms you see on downy mildew, especially on the underside of the leaves, which is that kind of fuzzy grayish purple uh, kind of texture and look to it. Right. At that point, it's like kind of too late. I mean, you can't really do much. Um, It seems like fungicides at that point are not going to do really great to help you out. So if you're you're spraying stuff, it's like preventative. It's like hopefully it hasn't gotten to your other basil. And you want to prevent it from hitting them. So if you have this, like remove those plants ASAP. And then you want to do preventative fungicidal treatments.
0: Well, that's and that's good advice. Because, and, and I like that you mentioned that it starts off looking like um, nutrient deficiency mm-hmm. because that uh, that interveinal chlorosis, the, the yellowing of the tissue between the veins, um, at least in Texas, is a pretty common um, sign of iron, iron deficiency. And so, uh, especially in a a leafy crop like this that's using a lot of nitrogen, using a lot of iron and some other stuff, like, that's a super common um, thing. So, when I was with Extension, when people would call me and say, okay, my tomatoes, my whatever looks like this, it's kind of yellow, the veins are still green, I'd be like, add iron, you know, just put it down. But sometimes... Um, especially with uh, fungal diseases of plants, like you go out and you hit them hard with fertilizer, sometimes that can uh, like exacerbate the the conditions. It can actually make the the progress a lot worse.
1: Yeah, I mean that's similar to a lot of insects as well. So if you get yellowing as a result of insect uh, sucking damage, so they're trying to get that like chlorophyll oftentimes uh and you feed that plant more nitrogen that's actually benefiting the insect because if the plant can't use that excess nitrogen it's going straight to that insect which is what the insect wants it wants the nitrogen to make more proteins these proteins to make more babies and they are baby making machines right we're we're feeding the machine man we don't (laughs) want to feed the machine
0: So, sidebar here. Um I have heard and this is maybe a, a, I think we can do some like myth busting as we go through this. Don't yeah. don't sue us discovery. Um <laughs> that show's not on anymore. Right. Uh it's fine. It's fine. Um <laughs> so I've heard that uh speaking specifically of, you know, sucking pests like like aphids, aphids are a great example of that. You know, they find yep. a place, they feed on the sugars, blah blah. blah. I have heard that they're pretty much all clonal females. Mm-hmm. And that they, like, hatch or are
1: born or ready to lay eggs or have, you know, more babies. Is that true? Yeah. So they reproduce. So there's, like, two things you touched on there, right? It's producing the live clones of themselves. So they reproduce parthenogenetically. So that's word. a that's yeah it's a way of saying they they produce offspring without male sperm so males are unnecessary in in their society Man, right? man. Right, calm down female listeners settle down yeah all right? they're aphids uh, yeah they're aphids okay we Human, still serve a purpose yeah we serve a purpose in humanity okay uh but these aphids so yeah, so all all of the offspring are female clones of the mother right so that the mother is producing live clones some species, up to two to three live offspring every single day. Goodness. Yeah. And it's, yes, it is true. So by the time that first offspring is coming out of the mother, that offspring is already starting to form the first embryos of her daughter. So by the time that mother is, is by the time an aphid is becoming a mother, she's already on route to becoming a grandmother. Wow. But I mean, you know, with, with that logic, we could say the same way with humans. I mean, by the time a female, you know, is born, she's already producing her eggs, you know, so I don't, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if it's, you know, quite uh, as, as amazing as we think of it, at least in that way. But I mean, (laughs) it is like within a week, yeah, within a week, that offspring, that baby is like already now starting to produce new babies herself. Well, and that's pretty important because you know we're
0: talking about management, and we'll get back to the the downy mildew here in a second. But I just think that's, but you know, you can get issue these these complex issues where you get something like aphids, and then the um. Uh, the honeydew, the, what's the excretion, right? Yeah. Honeydew. Can, yeah. Yeah, can yeah, Cause, which is just sugar water. I mean, that's why ants farm them and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that can lead to some of these other mildew problems and fungal problems on your plants.
1: That's right. Yeah. So excess honeydew as a result of like say aphids, you can then get this concoction of molds growing on there, referred to as sooty mold, right? It's okay. Just like it yeah. looks like this black mold. Cause it's just a mix of them. And that could then be confused with some kind of a, Plant pathogen or fungus. So it's like, oh shoot, it was first yellow, and now I got this black fungus. So what, <laughs> what disease is killing my plants? But really it was aphids after all. And so this is kind of like almost on the other side of the spectrum where it's like you think it's some kind of plant uh, nutrient deficiency or a sucking insect pest, but it's actually downy mildew. It's a huh. disease, and it's starting to show symptoms of, you know, nutrient deficiency or whatnot, at least initially. And so it's kind of interesting. So, like I said, there's not much you can do when it really hits, once the symptom, symptoms hit. There are some uh, cultivars that are resistant. So, if you are, as a grower, have a history of basically getting downy mildew on your basil, you may consider uh, just planting some cultivars that are completely resistant. So this was um, some work done at Rutgers University and again this is all in Stanton Gill's article here that kind of summarizes. And some of those cultivars include obsession, devotion, and Thunderstruck.
0: Are you sure you didn't like flip over to an article about like <laughs> cologne
1: or perfume or something? I know these, uh, I love how sensational these cultivars that's, that's are. That's something. Didn't you know that basil plant breeders are just very sensual?
0: Apparently they are. <laughs> and I wonder if basil commercials make as little sense as like uh, perfume commercials do. It's like, <laughs> yeah. why are they doing that? Why is she dr- running in the desert? I don't
1: understand. Shh walk the ocean feel the breeze devotion (laughs) devotion
0: oh man this is already off the rails Uh, i'm i'm enjoying this
1: all right yeah so yeah so that's that's all i had to say you know i think that's a great there's a nice succinct article by stanton well done my man And uh, But that's all I have to say about downy mildew on on the basil.
0: Okay, so the article I picked um, is maybe less like grower focused, but more, um, I I think it's interesting. And I think uh, it's more of just, again, a general interest piece about trees. Uh, In fact, we even talked about trees last episode with the great basin bristlecone pine and the the, uh, uh, pine beetle. Mm -hmm. So this one is a little bit different. And it's talking about, Crown shyness. Have you ever heard that term, crown shyness?
1: Yeah, I'm starting to experience some crown shyness. Oh, oh no. Yeah. Oh no. I mean, it's. I mean, it's no big deal. There's a lot of people that deal with crown shyness. I'm not. You know. You know. You go through a denial phase, but then you
0: accept it. (laughs) My my crown is weird and lumpy, and so I'm. I'm very shy about crown shyness. (laughs) I'm hoping that that holds off for a while. Um. So crown shyness is this um concept that trees will avoid each other. Mm-hmm. Right? They're uh not I mean, and it's weird cuz underground they're all connected, their roots graft, they have these this massive network which we'll talk about uh, probably on a future episode. Um but in the crown, the canopy. So the the crown is um I guess what we would call the top of the canopy, the the part of the Tree that intercepts sunlight that photosynthesizes, and I know you can't see this uh, uh, Listeners by gesture wildly and I'm making like (laughs) crowns of trees and canopies with my this only
1: makes sense with all of your gestures only makes
0: sense I'm sorry about about this, but uh, there's this really interesting concept where if you go into some forests You'll see this incredible pattern if you like stand on the ground and look straight up of um, these jigsaw like puzzle gaps uh, between the tree canopies. And um, it's interesting because it's it's most common in general, according to this article, I should back up, this, this article is from uh, JSTOR Daily uh, by James McDonald, and uh, it's called The Mysteries of Crown Shyness. And it's uh, going back to some um, different pictures and things that popped up on the internet a couple of years ago, and it was kind of all over the place for a few weeks, talking about, oh, look at this weird thing that trees do. Um, but it it can occur in any forest, but it looks like it's most common in similarly aged trees, um, of similar species. And it's probably more common in deciduous forests than in, uh, like pine forests.
1: And a little bit more common in, in male forests. Is that right? Than female forests? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It starts
0: earlier and there's male pattern crown shyness. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But uh, again, these trees will start to avoid each other, especially when they're growing very closely together. And you get these interesting looking, uh, what they call shyness gaps between the canopies of these trees, where essentially they're trying not to intersect branches and they're trying not to um, kind of crowd each other. Uh, There's some interesting like potential reasons they do this. Um, Part of it is, Trees are like big sails, right? So when the wind blows, the tree leaves intercept those, uh, the the wind, and they start bumping into each other. And so right. as these trees sway back and forth, you know, wind is not just everywhere at once. It progresses through a forest or across a field. You can watch a storm blow in. So one of the ideas is that these trees don't want to rub together. They don't want the branches to run into each other more than necessary, because that causes damage. It's a place where they lose uh, branches, photosynthetic material. It's a place where diseases and things can get in, which makes sense, right? Because the tree doesn't want to take any more damage than necessary, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and so it could be, um, you know, and I say again, we talk about the tree wanting things. This is caused by, you know, where branches break off. It's caused by things like that. And then the tree grows in different directions. It causes yeah. um, buds farther down the stem to assert dominance. It starts to laterally branch and all this other stuff. So you get these interesting patterns um, in the canopy from that. An- another um, concept that, that may cause this is uh, just competition. Mm-hmm. Um, trees compete for a lot of things it's, it's They compete for water They compete for nutrients, for space But probably the biggest thing is sunlight Because they are this massive organism That has to create their own food yeah. uh, And they do that by turning Sunlight into sugar uh, mm-hmm. sunlight and oxygen and all the other things in a sugar and if they either outgrow each other and one gets shaded or if the leaves kind of intermingle you get shading and you get competition for sunlight so it could just be um, a result of some interesting competition kind of things and and we see this in different ways in plants where they'll uh, grow in different directions to find sunlight. You get some weird growth patterns sometimes in forests, but I don't know. Uh, I just I think it's pretty interesting just to see all these ecological interactions. There's so much we don't understand about these organisms, right? Like right. Um, there's more and more research coming out about um, how they're connected underground through uh, fungal networks. Um, mm. uh, there's, there's even a, a theory in this article that the growing tips, the growing bud at the end of each branch can actually use vari- or, uh, variations in light levels, reflect- reflected sunlight off of another tree's leaf or bud to instead of um, running into the, the other tree and that bud being broken off and you know buds farther down the branch branching, there's a thought that that bud can actually detect based on sunlight levels when it's getting close to another object. Ooh. And either uh, stop development so that that branch doesn't grow any farther or uh, reduce some of its dominance. It's caused by um, a, a plant hormone called oxen. Um, and there's so much we don't understand about the interactions between plants because we can't ask them. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, right. you know, human psychology is or, or human uh, sociology is maybe a better term. Uh, is difficult to, enough to understand. And yeah. you can go and ask a person, why did you punch that guy? Right. Why we have similar you modes of
1: communication.
0: Different... Right. Right. And, and uh, you know, in a basic sort of way, similar motivations for the, way, the reasons we do things. But in some ways, some of these plant systems are so alien to us. Yeah. Um, that it could be that, you know, the game theory applies here because these plants are in some way communicating with each other. And that that sounds a little woo-woo and I understand that, but research is showing that there may be something to that again through some of these fungal networks.
1: And there was I mean there was that documentary called uh, The Happening uh, filmed film by oh, M- yes. Night Shyamalan where the trees yes. communicate with each other uh-huh. to uh, create zombies out of all the humans. Yeah, it's a fantastic film. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. But, but we do know <laughs> we do know that um, that plants can communicate in some ways, right? Like they don't yeah, you know, they don't talk. um but how which would which would have been really cool but now lord of the rings has ruined how they would potentially talk forever i mean it'd be really slow forests would be so loud (laughs) yeah especially one that's being deforested yeah yeah
0: (laughs) Yeah. i'm I'm long you know all things considered i'm
1: glad trees can't scream yeah good lord yeah it'd be very problematic but okay wait okay but uh, they do communicate in some ways. How? What are some ways in which plants communicate?
0: Well, and we you know we talked about this a little bit last time with the pine beetles, where you get uh, the release of different plant compounds. Um, where if there's herbivory on one plant, uh, it may release this uh, chemical compound into the air, which can be detected by other plants, which then start building in and uh, producing. Plant defense compounds, like we spoke about, uh, different types of insecticides, or, or uh, terpenes in the case of um, pines and, and conifers, and so that's uh, like a um, kind of through the air chemical signaling. Again, they do communicate through the roots pretty extensively. Um, we see this in, in oak trees a lot, uh, where the roots graft very readily, even across species, just you know within the genus. And, and in some cases, you'll see. Uh, and, and it's not always and so this is something interesting to think about that. It's not an always a um, positive feedback kind of thing or it's not always a positive type of communication. Sometimes you'll see a row of trees. Uh, this is common in something like a Bradford pear actually where the the, the uh, more fit trees will actually steal resources from the less fit trees. So you may have a whole row of Bradford pears and there's just one in the middle Uh, That's yellow and terrible and it looks awful and all the trees around it look fine Um, and and there's some theories that the uh, Stronger trees that grew faster for whatever reason whether it be you know edge effects because they get more sunlight They get more water whatever it is uh, Actually will steal resources from the weaker trees.
1: So Interesting so and I have seen now a few posts from plant people saying they don't really care for Bradford pears. Is there yeah. something is there something behind that? They're awful.
0: <laughs> there nobody what? likes them. Okay, what? so <laughs>
1: I mean, I was like, I have to see, uh, I have to remind myself, like, what a Bradford pear is. And, dude, I I will, and I was like, it's a
0: pretty, it looks like a pretty tree. I will dunk on Bradford pear any chance I get. Um, <laughs> so, the, by okay. the way, the
1: American Association of Bradford Pear Trees, we just want to say that this is just our, uh, this is just our opinion. I don't Please want your don't com- sponsorship. Don't. We know no. that you're, <laughs> you're a very angry, and you, you will sue at any cost. But uh, just know that this is just our opinion. This is not a uh, fact from Texas A&M.
0: Or or Texas Tech, I guess. (laughs) This is all all opinions are my own. Yeah, 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 and everybody else's. Yeah, Uh, no, but so okay, so uh, Bradford pears have some just growth issues. All the branches grow really close together; they cluster up. Uh, We call it um, because I guess tree people are this way. We call them narrow crotch angles, and so the the crotch is the place between where the two. uh, I
1: know. I know what a crotch is. Yeah.
0: I don't have to I don't have to explain this. I'm no, doing hand and you don't again, have to do hand gestures. You can't you can't see it, but I'm doing hand gestures, but
1: it's a place where two branches You don't have you to know, point. Yeah, you don't have to point.
0: <laughs> well, you can't, you know, I I'm dressed like a rainbow sherbet today. I've got a bright orange <laughs> shirt and I've got green shorts on. Uh, anyway, so it's the place where two branches intersect essentially. And mm-hmm. uh, you typically want a wide crotch angle cuz you get more wood that lays in there and you get a stronger connection. Um with some of these narrow crotch angles, you get um, what we call bark inclusions where the bark grows between the two branches and you get a weak spot there because bark is not strong, right? It's the, yep. the wood that's strong. Mm-hmm. So you'll see Bradford pears during wind storms or ice storms or, you know, if you look at them a little funny, uh, just falling apart. Like the, the branches just fall apart. Oh, wow. Um, so they're they're prone to breakage. Um, the male trees, the flowers smell a little bit like dead fish. Uh, huh they're really stinky Um, really yeah (laughs) the male the male trees are gross they smell terrible actually all of none of them smell good but the male tree the male flowers smell way worse
1: actually smell bad okay yeah
0: and uh they produce these inedible little like marble sized pears that serve like nothing I s- mean it's ornamental. I mean it's, it's
1: not meant to it's be. It's ornamental.
0: Um but I think a lot so uh, they tend to be a little invasive in some areas. Um maybe not so bad in most of Texas but if you get out east, you yeah. know, and and they're incredibly invasive. And how, so
1: How do you tell the, the male from the female? Like if you're if you're listening to this and you're like I still want to buy a Bradford pear. Uh, how do they choose a non-male, other than, let's say it's not in bloom. So like, uh,
0: If it's not in bloom, you can't tell. Okay. There's no way to know. Oh, and man. even, uh, yeah, no. Assume so, they're all male. Just don't plant them. Just don't buy a Bradford pear. <laughs> my Here's my thing. I think in general, if you're going to plant a fruit tree, it should give you fruits you can eat. Right. Even so, yeah. like I'm not necessarily opposed to ornamental varieties of some trees. There's some that are fine. But my whole thing is uh, I think that our landscape should serve more than one purpose and our, our landscape plants should do that as well. So I'm a big proponent of the multipurpose landscape. So if I have the choice between a, uh, say, Bartlett pear or some other kind of fruiting pear that's still an attractive tree, you can still get some fall color off of it. You still get pretty uh, blooms in the spring, maybe not to the extent that you do on the Bradford. Um, I would rather plant that. I would rather have that in my landscape because it's like most of the benefit plus pears. You know, so uh, that for me, that's that's one of the big reasons. I, they're they're fun to hate on just in the plant community. We got to have something,
1: right? <laughs> that's what I was like, man, they're all bullying the Bradford pear yeah. on social no, we, media. We, What's we bully going on? the Bradford pear. No,
0: I think it's just, for me, it's a utility thing. If I've got yeah. that, that space, especially in the urban landscape, space is precious, right? so i want so precious yeah so precious and so that yeah (laughs) so i want that space to be as uh useful as it can be yeah 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 yeah. so if it can serve more than one purpose that's great there's a bradford pear in our horticulture garden here and it's fine i'm not in a hurry to cut it down it's a it's actually a pretty tree with it's had some good pruning over the years um it has a pretty decent growth form it's a big tree so you know i'm not gonna go get rid of it but if i had to replace it i would replace it with a fruiting pear i'll say that
1: well that's been a great joy that's uh, i think all we have for this jolly green scientist. in the next one we will digest another scientific article uh probably a little bit more related to uh insects and crop protection because i will be picking that one that's right and uh, thank you all for tuning in. Again, my name is Arafon with AgroLife Extension. I'm
0: Vikram with Texas Tech. Uh, leave us a review, subscribe, share it with your friends.
1: Um, 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 scanning through the article <laughs> and I can't find where he it is.
0: It's like, it's like built in, like hold music. You should ask Daniel Cunningham about Bradford Pears. Bradford Pears? Yeah, just for fun. Is he going to lose it too or what? He, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He, if if someone likes dislikes them more than I do, it's it's all Daniel Cunningham.
1: I'm gonna wait until we're in a public forum, like the yes, first please. time I have the opportunity to present to a live audience again, like in person, mm-hmm. and Daniel's there too. I'm going to recommend. People get the Bradford pear, and just I'm just gonna look at his face. Just watch his face. Just watch his face. It'll
0: it'll be fun for everyone.
1: I mean, it'll be especially spectacular because, like, as an entomologist, I have no place to be recommending (laughs) like
0: like a tree. Just make totally off the wall like plant recommendations. (laughs) The perfect landscape plants are the Bradford pear and the kudzu vine.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
0: (laughs) They're they're not. So if you're listening, someone's gonna pull that sound bite out. Actually, uh, I
1: am. I'm going to edit this. <laughs> <That's>, that'll, be, <laughs> so that'll be the title of the episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 Only the listeners will know not to actually plant them, but the people just reading the title will be led astray.